Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to sit down today with Yara Starik, who's the founder of Inbox Done and a multitude of other businesses. But in today's conversation, we're gonna talk about his latest business, Inbox Done, and what it does and how it works. And that is specifically geared around having somebody manage your inbox. So having another human being be the primary point of contact within your email inbox, which I know can sound strange, and it did sound strange to me before I had this conversation with Yoro, but I ended up actually joining Inbox Done, signing up for their service. And it's been several months, I think it's been over six months now that I've been using the service and I can't speak more highly of it. It's been a game changer for me to be able to have somebody competent who can manage my multiple inboxes. And that's dealing with things like coaching clients, consulting clients, inquiries to work with me or interview me or have me speak somewhere. And just to have somebody as like that first filter of all that information so that Really, I only have to deal with one or two things, the things that are highlighted and selected for me to do. And otherwise, this person has learned kind of my systems and operations. We create SOPs as we go. I actually don't do any of the creation. I just say, this is how I'd like it handled. And then the person who's who's managing my inbox does that for me. And her name's Carly. And she's just been absolutely outstanding. And I, I really can't say enough positive things about it. And in today's conversation, this was actually, I had this conversation before I signed up for the service. So this is a bit delayed getting this podcast out because I just want to go through the whole process of and the experience of what it was like to have somebody managing my inbox. So at the time of this recording, I don't think I had signed up for the program yet, but you could tell from the questions I asked that I was really curious about it. So anyway, the reason I'm, I'm sharing all this is because I did in fact take the plunge and, and this is not like a sales pitch for the service. It may not be for you, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have. If you get a lot of emails, if, if you find yourself spending a lot of time in your inbox, I have like something like three or four or five email accounts that get dozens and dozens to hundreds of emails, you know, a day, a week, a month, like just tons and tons of content. And this was like a very easy way for me to kind of step back, let somebody in to start kind of managing some of that, those details, the things that take up a lot of my time, but aren't really high value producing or high or high earning producing type activities, the things that actually make money. So instead I can, I can focus on things that do make money that actually do grow my businesses. So it's been a game changer. I really enjoyed it and enjoyed the process. And so in today's conversation, we're going to talk about this idea of like why you should have somebody manage your inbox. What does that process look like? How do you do that? Especially when you're dealing with say like, you know, personal or private information, what's the best way to kind of navigate that territory? What's a good way to kind of like dip your toes into the water and test it out and why having somebody kind of manage your inbox might be a great first place to start in regards to hiring a VA or virtual assistant, if you've never done that before. So anyway, a lot of great stuff we get into, but I'll just leave it at that. So without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. So Yoro, the first place I want to begin is a little bit of your backstory and how you got into what you're doing today, which is, well, actually running at least three businesses that we were talking about offline. One of those is Inbox Done, and I definitely want to get to that, but give some context of your entrepreneurial life, because you've been doing this for over a decade. So I think it'll help provide some context for the listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. So when I was 18, I really wanted to do what nowadays we'd call the four-hour work week, you know, thanks to Tim, but this was about seven years prior to Tim releasing the book. And it was like the dot-com boom, number one. And, you know, I knew for me, I didn't want a job. That was clear. I wasn't sure how to avoid it. And it, it was a bit of fortuitous timing. The internet was becoming a place, you know, to do commerce essentially back then. And uh, I saw it as an avenue. I didn't know what I would potentially do there, but it, it seemed to be the place I gravitated to. I just fell in love with it, you know, reading forums, bulletin boards, basic text-based websites before we had social. And that 
naturally led to creating a website myself. My first ever website was launched in about 1998 about a card game called Magic the Gathering. Got my first domain name for it in probably about 1999 and then started a little e-commerce store selling cards from there and made a bit of money from advertising and my first income stream. I wouldn't call it a, a full-time one, but it taught me about basics of, of having a website, which then led to my second business, which is the one that really became my first full-time income. It was called Better edit an essay editing company. And this is the one where I really put into practice that whole ideal of trying to create a business that runs itself. So, you know, back then, before we had maybe like Tim's book with the four hour work, we, we had the e-myth, you know, by Michael Gerber talked about working on your business, not in it. And I certainly was looking to find not just the business that was a, an income stream that would fuel my life. So I didn't have to need a job, but I didn't want it to become a 12 hour a day uh, job. Well, it's not really a job, but you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs, it sort of seems like a job because they have to work all longer than a nine to five to grow their business. So I was very careful about what kind of business models I chose and better at it was deliberately designed to be a very leveraged business. So I had contract editors, I built the website and it essentially sold a service that I didn't deliver. So, you know, I could scale just by hiring more contract editors. I actually called this business model services arbitrage now, but essentially it's, it's kind of like running an agency, but you use contractors to deliver a service. And eventually I, I made it work. It took a couple of years of finding the right service, the right copy, the right target market and so on. But we went after international students who were writing essays and theses, and we provided like a, an editing and sort of a feedback service to help them become better academic writers. And that became my first full-time income stream. And it actually became the basis for a lot of the content I wrote on my blog. So the blog came a few years later. And if it wasn't for having this essay editing company and this card game business and a few other sort of websites that went nowhere and businesses that went nowhere during those early years for me, I, I would not have had content to write a blog which is what most people know me for today, which was the blog I started called Entrepreneur's Journey and, and the podcast of the same name. So uh, all those experiences turned into great content. And that's kind of what led to, still led to what I do today, but that's half the story, I guess. Yeah, and I, I love it because you're definitely, it, it's always interesting to hear how people get their start, whether it's it's more on the content side of things or more on the, the business piece. So you went into this building a business, the idea being, I guess, something that could be scaled and possibly sold, or at least with an intention in mind. So you've done that now on, it seems like a multitude of projects or a multitude of businesses, which now leads you to some of the things you're doing today. Can you give us some context of what are the the focuses for you right now? So yeah, you're right. I, I did. I didn't actually think about building those businesses to sell, but I actually did sell them. To be fair, back then, the only kind of businesses you would see selling are often like a dot-com boom, crazy prices. I didn't think I could sell my little Magic the Gathering card game store content site, but I did. And uh, it wasn't retire money, but it gave me the money I used to then put into my essay editing company, which connects the dots to, I guess, what I do today. So two things happened. Obviously, I got all the content to start blogging, uh, or should I say I lived the experiences to then create the content to start blogging. And one of the things back then that I did was like a final step to break free, which is my ultimate goal. I really did want to create a business that would allow me to travel, allow me to not have an alarm clock when I sleep, allow me to, you know, if I want to spend two hours cooking lunch. And back then it would have been watching a Star Trek episode or something like that. I could do that. I had the freedom and the choice. So 
with the editing company, it was purposely built to do that. But there was one aspect that I struggled with right up to sort of the, I guess, the last phase of turning that into an automated business. And I experienced it because what happened is I went down to Sydney. I grew up in Brisbane, Australia. I went down to Sydney for an event and I kept having to go to internet cafes. This is prior to smartphones, of course, to check my email because that business was driven by email. Our jobs came in from email. I had to forward the jobs to the editors and so on. So it was a very leveraged business, but there was that role in the company that I still did that was very time sensitive. And after coming back from that trip, I realized I need to hire someone to take over that role and essentially become my email uh, manager for the company. And I, I hired a friend a university friend. She was about to have her first baby. She took over the business and I woke up the day after I fully trained her and she was in charge with nothing to do. It was actually a weird experience the first time, you know, after you've been growing businesses and you wake up the next day and you no longer have to check your email, the money just comes in because someone else is processing the jobs and you're like, hmm, what do I do with my time now? So I'd managed to, you know, succeed in that process. Thankfully, I was getting into blogging so that was my next personal process. And from that day forward, every business I had, had someone managing the day-to-day -day email, which could be customer service emails, could just be my personal email, like, you know, the newsletters I subscribe to, things like the software updates, you get a lot of emails from software, could be, you know, booking podcast interviews like we're doing now, all these messages. And that's always been handled by either one, two, or even I've had three people on my inbox during the, the very peak years of growing my companies. And that 12 years later has led to what my current business is, which is called Inbox Done. It's a bit surprising it's taken me so long to realize I should launch something like this, but enough times I would tell other entrepreneurs or I'd do a talk and I'd say I haven't handled my email in 12 years or 10 years or eight years, whatever it might have been at the time. And people would give me these sort of funny looks and I had to explain to them, yes, you can hire a person who gets to know how your business runs or how your job runs or how your life runs. And they can do your inbox potentially even better than you can. At least they can do the 80-20 rule. They can cut away 80% of the messages and only leave you the 20% you need to deal with. And that's a huge time suck for most people. Like most people wake up in the morning or go out late at night doing two or three hours worth of email. So I realized we need to actually potentially see it as a business here, which we did last year. We, we launched a beta trial, uh, got our first couple of clients, and then it worked. They love the service. So this year we launched properly uh, inboxdone.com. Essentially, someone in my team can take over your email. So that's kind of like the main project I'm working on in terms of my focus at the moment. Yeah. And so it's service as a service, maybe is another way that I've used to describe something kind of similar to this in the context of what you're doing with Inbox Done. One of the things that I like this model because it seems like something that most people can wrap their head around and put together because I'm sure there is a technical component to it, but it seems like a lot of it is leveraging skill sets from individuals versus trying to craft or build human beings, human beings right? Yeah. So on the one hand, I think that's a positive of that kind of model, like in terms of like kind of getting something up and running, but there's of course downsides and challenges and struggles with hiring. So and getting the right people in place and getting the right systems. So I'm really curious about how you approached it as like a problem set when you were, you had this idea, obviously you'd done it. So you knew there was value in it. People were interested in it. So you kind of, in that regard, you kind of validated the idea before you moved into it. But in terms of the practical steps to get it up and running, what were some of the initial things you did to ensure that it would work and that you could scale it? Yes. It's a good bunch of questions there. The, uh, 
most important aspect is obviously, you know, delivering the service. Can you actually provide something of value and, and run a business? So for me, it was a no brainer to actually partner with one of the people who do my email. So my co-founder, Claire, actually was one of my own email managers and has continued to be for the last two years. So she, you know, I, I run a coaching, teaching business around blogging. And that's been my main sort of business for literally the last decade or so. I'm only just switching to Inbox Done now. And she knew how to do it. She'd spent two years dealing with a fairly busy inbox of an entrepreneur slash coach information marketer. So it made complete sense to me to say, first of all, let's test to see if this service can work. So do a minimal viable I'd say minimal viable S rather than minimal viable P. It's a minimal viable service test and get our clients, make sure they're happy. See, see how hard it is to do it, you know, for other people, because everyone's inbox is different. You know, we, we've got people who are not just internet marketing. We've got people more in like traditional therapies. We've got, uh, you know, all kinds of different marketplaces. So does it work? People have different needs, different emails. And obviously it's an ongoing learning process, but the basics, the core productivity, systemization, simple things, templates, canned responses, template emails, coming up with some sort of folder structure, label structure in Gmail. And then also the more, and this is what I love for me, the proactive stuff like chasing up potential clients, because I always felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job of that. And this is something you can have a, a human being do to give that personal touch. So what it requires is obviously someone who's got empathy, someone who's got English as a, a first language, good communicator. And then there's a, a really detailed learning process. Like you really have to spend 30 days getting to know someone's inbox. So if we took over your inbox, Tom, for example, you'd work for 30 days, at least with a little bit of back and forwards with one of our inbox thumb managers, because we'd have questions like, how do you want us to answer this? Do you want us to build this system to you know, follow up with this kind of query? what kind of folder structures and even simple questions like, do you want to check your email once a week, once a month or not at all? Do you want us to represent you as a receptionist type email person, or do you want us to actually be you and try and write in your voice and reply as you? So we've had to build all these sorts of systems plus just, you know, learn what people want. And that means this business is highly tailored and customized. I wouldn't call it something you could rapidly scale, at least at this point in time, we can't, have a hundred new clients sign up tomorrow and service them because we're kind of like a bespoke uh, or boutique service right now. It's like we carefully match someone with you. We carefully learn about your inbox. And that's important because we don't want to screw up someone's inbox. That's a pretty personal area of people's lives and businesses. So we've made a very conscious decision to not like try and rapidly grow at this stage. I could see, you know, if we have a lot of systems in place, a lot of processes built, possibly we could grow quicker. But yeah, the plan right now is it's like we're taking on two clients a month. And that's not like a marketing gimmick. That's because we just really want to do a good job. Well, yeah. And I think it has, there's a sticky aspect to the service. I'm sure that's part of your thought process behind it and the value of it, right? It's like if it gets up and running and is running successfully, then most likely your clients will stick around. So it sounds like you can't go back. It's like flying first class. Right. So it's like, know, customer, it, it's like customer success is a big part of what you guys do then. And so making sure that they, they get up and running the right way. So even if it's a slow process to get new clients or get new customers on the service, that's okay because hopefully they stick around for more than a year or two years, three years, whatever it might be. And it seems like, and tell me if I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but that seems like that's the strategy for you. Certainly. Yeah. You, you nailed it. It's, we love the clientele too. This is not a beginner 
clientele. This is established people who are successful in their lives or their business. And that's a great clientele to work with. Uh, the biggest challenge with them is just getting a bit of their time. You know, it's ironic because they're so busy, they get a lot of email. We're trying to free them up of that burden, but we do need a bit of time in order to learn about your inbox. So you have to kind of get through that, that learning phase and, and get people to work with us. But um, yes, we see this as something where people join us. I know I've had 12 years of not doing my email and I, I would just be horrified. Well, not horrified, it's a bit strong, but I would not be very happy to have to go back as the only person managing my inbox. I'd first of all do a terrible job. It's just so hard because I'm so used to having that sense of relaxation. I know someone is on top of that job and I only need to check in every two weeks. That's kind of what I do. I check out, do the few emails I need to do every two weeks. So yeah, it's a very personal business. It's a sticky business, as you said, and I'm loving it because I, I love the clients. That's so far the, the best thing. And you know, when you've got something, this is very different from everything I've sold beforehand. I'm not sure if you've experienced this, Tom, but a lot of my previous products, there's been quite a long education curve to sort of build the trust and convince someone to buy like an online course or join your membership site. And you know, with doing launches, even the launch itself is a fairly big process, right? Of education, building excitement and so on. With this service, it's like they've got a headache and, and you've got a pill to make it go away. So, you know, they already realize their problem they can see the benefit of handing over this to someone once they realize the service exists. So when we get the right people on a discovery call, it's like we almost don't have to really sell it. We just have to talk about what they need, like what kind of email do they get? They say, yes, we begin the onboarding process and away you go. There's no, there are no launches. There are no webinar funnels. There are no broad uh, content pieces like free reports or lead-in. I mean, those things I'm sure would also help our business ultimately, eventually, but it's not really something absolutely necessary at this stage. It's just deliver a good service, make sure the trust is there, and uh, away you go. Yeah, so let me ask you a couple, I think, maybe more technical questions about the business itself, and then I'm curious, too, in terms of use cases for the service. But from on the technical standpoint of things, the way you structured it, obviously working with somebody who has already been doing this with you for a while. And I could see uh, as this grows, then you would hire additional people to manage inboxes as it grows. But in terms of like approaching this problem set, how do you think about it in terms of margin to make sure you actually have enough margin in there where it's profitable, sustainable, can grow, that kind of thing? Like, I'm really curious about your insights into this and how you approach that problem. Yeah, that, that's the first question. Obviously, I wanted to answer beyond the fact is, can we provide this services? Can we run a profit and build a business around it as well. So when we did those first two trials, my although my co-founder Claire acted as the inbox manager, she was also acting as if she was a contractor for our company. So she would have to get paid a set amount, there'd be a profit margin for the business and away you go. And that worked and the numbers were there. It's different because some clients require less or more hours to manage their inbox. So the margin per client's always going to be different, but we want to make sure that we could find a pricing point that worked and we already actually have, you know, a team. So we've got about, uh, I think we just hired our, our fifth inbox manager in the company and each inbox manager is kind of doing so far about two people will probably max out at three clients per inbox manager. Maybe we even might even stick to two. We'll see how we go. And, uh, you know, I wish I could say, I know for sure this is going to work longer term, but I've run businesses. I know good people want to get paid more and they should be. So it'll probably be a case of bumping up the rates for, for certain people we work with. But so far it functions like fine. I mean, we're profitable from the first client we took on board. Claire, my co-founder is starting to 
separate herself from being an email manager to now managing the email managers, which is a natural progression and it's great. And I suspect that will continue to happen. So we'll, you know, we'll bring on more contractors. It's actually kind of, for me, it's really fun because it's like going all the way back to the days of my editing company. It, I had the same business model with that. I hired the contract editors. I took a cut of every job and we did, depending on the size of the job, it could be anywhere from 25% to 50% was my profit margin. And I had to make sure I could run a business on that. You know, I had to pay myself. I had to pay any technical help I had. So we're doing the same thing right now. You know, we're bootstrapping. We're like, do we have a budget to pay carry our tech person to make changes to our website this month? When, you know, what, how much is Claire going to get for what she does for the business as a manager? Obviously, all of our contractors, they need to get paid and so on. So it's still early days, though. So I can't really say everything is up and, you know, running hugely. But we're about to, once we get our guest next two clients, we'll already be over the, the six figures a year revenue mark, which came surprisingly quickly, I'll have to say. But so far, so good. That's really interesting. And I love that. What a great insight in terms of, I really love the way you started it with somebody who could be essentially kind of the operations person, be actively doing the roles that you were intending to hire for and treating her as if she was one of those hires. I think what a what a simple, maybe it sounds like common sense to people, but I've had enough conversations with people that are trying to bootstrap stuff and I don't typically see that being the process they use. So I think there's something kind of really interesting and insightful about that. She already was. That's the beauty of how this business came to be. She was that person for my existing company. And now she needs to do it for a new company. And then the really funny part of this is she's switched to the other side of the fence. Now she's employing people like she was. So she knows what it's like to do their job. And now she's learning what it's like to do my job as the boss of those kind of contractors. So it's a lovely progression. And I honestly, you know, I wouldn't even thought about doing this business unless I knew I had the right person to partner with because I'm not going to go in there and do the email myself. I haven't been doing it. That's not been my strength, but she'd spent two years doing it. So I think for me, a lot of the best businesses I've had in the past have actually come about this way with some kind of partnership. I, I didn't even mention, but during my my blogging years, I had a partner with Gideon Shalwick, who you might be familiar with. He's uh, also down in Australia. And we did a video training program on blogging and we sold over a million dollars over the course of a number of years of this video course. And that brought together Gideon's video skills with the access to an audience and partners that I had. And now I haven't mentioned it, but at least not on the call live. I'm also starting a solar energy company in Ukraine. And I have a partner on the ground there who's uniquely situated to make that company work. So, I, you know, a lot of this stuff would not work with Yarrow being the only person doing it. But when you get the right partner, you can look like a genius. And I often wonder, like, when you look at people like Elon Musk and they're running a space company and a solar energy company and a car company, and you think, how on earth they do it? Well, really, they're just one person. And there's probably like, you know, a brilliant operations person uh, in every one of those companies. Yet, of course, he gets all the limelight. But at the end of the day, those people are running the business, right? Yeah. And I love that because I think it's a great insight into ways that people can think about this. So if they're working on something as a side hustle or they've they're self-employed, they're kind of hustling the things on their own. It's to think about, I've always been a big fan of collaboration. And that's actually how I got my start was just kind of working with jointly with different people. And it's kind of crazy how, so, well, some things have panned out really, really well. Other things didn't go as well and, you know, maybe flatline and that's okay. But I, I think there's just so much value in partnerships and collaborating with people and thinking in the context of, well, if you have a great idea, is there somebody you could partner up with that could essentially like deliver the service in this context? 
which I guess would be similar to how you might want to do like say a software company or something more technical. You'd want an engineer ideally to maybe, you know, to partner with, but in the, let's focus just on services here for a second. I think what a, what a great way to go about it. Like if you can find someone who's like really a master at the operational part, they probably don't even want to deal with sales and marketing and that aspect. And if that's where your strength is and, and you could do the client generation, you could do the marketing and sales. It seems like a, that's a, what a, a match made in heaven, so to speak. And it seems like that's kind of how you approach many of these businesses. Yes. I mean, most of the time I've brought usually audience or, or marketing or really it's both, right? The access to customers. Actually funny going back to Gideon, he's been telling me I've got to read this book called Rocket Fuel. I'm not, not sure if you've read it, which talks about how the most successful high growth businesses have had a visionary and uh, an integrator, I think is the phrase they use. So essentially, you know, a marketer and an operations person is the way I kind of simplify those terms, right? And uh, that just seems to be the the magic combination. And, you know, even if you look at some of the biggest success stories in the in the tech startup world, you often find that there was usually like a programmer, you know, I remember like, for example, Airbnb and, and the, the three founders there, one of those guys was just a gun developer who could build the entire Airbnb website where the other two guys were out there trying to drum up press for it, right? But you take away one of those ingredients and you just don't have a business. So it's a really important point. And especially if you want to be like, I guess, a, a serial entrepreneur, you know, like I couldn't do what I'm doing now when I first started, because I, I didn't really bring anything to the table. I would have had to have been, I guess, the founder who didn't bring audience. I would have had to have been more the, you know, the grunt work kind of founder during the early days. But as you get older, you get more experience, you get more connections. Now I can bring audience. Now I can bring funding if I choose to. And that way I can find the operations person, which frankly always suits me because I really feel I like to think about the ideas and leverage my my contacts more than sit there and, and actually deliver the service. And that's even why I built all the way back in the early 2000s, Better Edit as a company. Same story. I was not an editor. I would not know how to edit a thesis or an essay academically, but I knew the target audience because I was a university student at the time. So I knew how to get in front of them. I put up posters around campuses. Plus I was learning about the web so I could take the skill sets I had and marry it with contractors. So, you know, you don't necessarily need the partner, you know, you could start with, with just the contractors, but I think if you're going to grow something really big, you do need someone else with, with skin in the game. So the partnership model works really well. Mm, great insights. So let me shift over to inbox done and how you guys kind of rock and roll with the service in terms of like who it might be for, because I'm sure people are listening and thinking, yeah, I, I do spend a lot of time in my inbox. And there's definitely a, a diverse range of people who listen to this podcast. I know many of them are, say, run professional service type companies in real estate, in finance. And of course, and there's a lot of people who are in, say, the online info product space. And so definitely different use cases. But if we were thinking about somebody like, I'm just curious, like, what are the things that the service at Inbox Done is capable of doing for somebody? I don't know if you want to hone in on a specific type of person, like maybe that professional service type person or consultant or something like that. What should somebody expect that that would help them do? I guess it sounds like it's it can help, well, do the basic email replies and stuff like that. But I'm curious how somebody might use this, like in, in terms of thinking about it, in terms of like, well, not, it's not just like an expense, but maybe it would be something that would will be actually a very lucrative investment because it can help them do things maybe they're even doing wrong with their their inbox is kind of how I'm looking at this. So any any thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I appreciate the chance to fully pitch my business. Sure. Here, well, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my own research right now. So, Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, the listener who's feeling their inbox is something that slows them down is already the right target market. You know, if, if that's something that takes an hour or two or three hours of your time, 
and you'd rather be using that time to finish a product, close a deal, prospect for new clients, or spend time with family and friends, hit the tennis court, go to the gym, eat better, whatever it is, travel. That's the obvious benefit. Uh, in terms of the more specifics of how it works, I mean, there's a couple of use cases. There's obviously myself and a few of our clients are information coaching style people, kind of like yourself, I guess, Tom, you know, coaches, consultants, selling courses, ebooks, physical books, and so on. And then we've got maybe more of the, the pure maybe like an agency or a consultant, like for example, we've got a couple of people who do Facebook ads and they have a lot of clients, right? So all of us have the same basic need. We're getting messages daily from newsletters we subscribe to, from software we use, from people who might want to request us to jump on a podcast, to speak at an event, to, you know, do some kind of a blog post, uh, you know, guest post or just appear as a, you know, guest expert or roundup post. So that's like the daily basic stuff. Then of course, of course, some people don't even have a customer service person. So all the questions like, where do I download this PDF? How do I access this product? Can I buy this? Where do I take your free training? Uh, how do I log into what I paid for? All those basic everyday things. So there's that if you don't have that handled. And then there's what I, I really like, which is, I mean, there's two levels to this. There's reactionary, which is what you really have to start with first. So coming up with systems to deal with all of that email, folders, filters, templates. We actually have over a hundred templates for my inbox. You know, everything from how to deal with all those things I just mentioned, how to get a download, how to open a PDF to the more complex stuff, like which product you think is right for me. So that's reactionary, but then you've got what I love. And this is where I guess most people might not see the benefit until you look for it is the proactive stuff you can do. So when I brought on people to take over my email with my information teaching business, one of the things I really felt that I wasn't doing a good job of was if someone emails me and they, they make like, like they, they ask a question like they're almost ready to buy and I answer them, but then they disappear. Right. And I feel like, Oh, I should be chasing this up better. I should be, you know, writing another email to them two days later to follow up and then trying to get them onto a phone call perhaps to really close the deal. If it's a higher price product, and I should probably do this for two or three weeks. You'll have a proper system of personalized follow-up. But I just didn't have the time to do that. And the same with uh, refund requests. You know, uh, for me, the, like I told my team when I first hired them, your primary goal is create more sales and save more potential lost customers. So when you get a refund request, there's things you can do to keep that customer or minimize the refund, alternative offers, discount prices, temporary couple of free months on a membership site, for example. So my team built systems to do that as well. So it can actually save you money from not losing customers and make you money from chasing up potential customers. So that's really, for me, been the, the biggest benefit from my business, having someone do my email. But I still think beyond all of that, the best benefit, and I, and I think every client would agree with me, is the emotional feeling of not worrying that you're not getting back to your email quick enough because you've simply got too much of it. There's that stressful feeling. It's like a victim of your own success where you're getting too many queries, too many uh, potential opportunities to market yourself on guest posts, podcast interviews, appearing in a magazine, on a newspaper, on a panel. I know you're having this kind of stuff happen to you too, Tom. So, you know, imagine you 10 times that you just can't reply to most of it or you're not doing it quick enough. So you, you feel like you're missing out on opportunities. So just knowing there is a front door person or even two people, if you want sort of round the clock, 24 hour coverage, which is what I've had, 
then that's just a huge weight off your your chest mentally, emotionally, reduces the stress. And you just have to go in and check if like me, I, I go in every two weeks and reply to the 5% or less emails that only I can answer. Everyone's inbox will be different regarding that. Some people might feel like they still want to go in once a day, but they don't have to worry about how frequently they do that or missing a few days. They can go on a holiday and not worry about it. So there's a lot of emotional benefits that come from reducing this or taking this part of your life out of your to-do list. And, and that to me is the biggest benefit. Yeah. And it seems like it's a good place to start for those who are looking to start to outsource or scale some of their operations. Because of course, I guess inbox is where a lot of the stuff begins, you know, and where it starts. And so if somebody's even like more on the getting started side of things and they're still doing everything themselves, this is a good place to kind of dabble in the waters of like what would be maybe a virtual assistant. I'll say that's one of the things that I actually struggled with when I, when I would source virtual assistants in the past was, are they competent enough to answer emails and, and, and write? You know, it's like the most basic fundamental VA skill set, which I guess is what's really interesting about the service too. You're like, well, let's just focus on inbox then. Well, let's just focus on email, specifically your inbox. I, I, so I like that. I'm curious too, you, you mentioned a couple of things that I thought were really interesting. So here's a question somebody might have if they were getting into this space. It's like, how much do I need to have developed before I say go with a service like yours? Or even what are your tips in terms of somebody who is managing their own inbox to improve their well, improve their performance. So I guess those are actually two separate questions. But I guess with the first one, what are the things that you would have to have ready to actually make use of this? Or is it something that's collaborative and we develop over time and et cetera, et cetera? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, well, let, let me, just one other thing I want to answer first because you touched upon something really important. So getting someone to take over your email is obviously an automation. It's, a, it's building a process, a system. And that, for the obvious reason, is a huge part if you ever wanted to actually live the four-hour work week. You know, if you're a huge fan of that idea, you want a company that's a muse, as Tim would call it from his book, then this is a key building block. Like, in fact, if you go back to the four-hour work week, you can listen to Tim talk about his Quicken, brain quicken product business, he was the roadblock because he was doing all the emails. He took himself out of the email job and suddenly he's making more money and has way more freedom. So it's a, a huge step towards that. And if you're thinking of selling your business or working towards it, this kind of service is huge. For example, my essay editing company, when I sold that business many, many years ago, it was a, a huge selling point, which ultimately increased the value of my company. When I said to the new owner, you don't have to actually run this business. You're going to buy it and the email person's going to essentially just become your contractor and they'll work with all the other contractors, the editors. Obviously, you should learn how the business works, but it's not like you have to jump in there and run it. Someone else is effectively running it for you. So that's a huge thing when it comes to selling a business because it's a, a massive selling point for a new owner. So that's that's an important consideration. Now, to your other question, who's right for this or what stage or what when when you should feel you should do this? I go back to what I said earlier. You know when you've got too much email. Most people will feel the stress already as I say it, and I think they'll know it because they're up in the morning doing that first or they go to bed at night doing it when they just simply wish they were not doing it. They'd rather be doing something else. So that would be the first thing to think about. In terms of learning or, or even starting this process yourself, I mean, you know, you can look at certainly folders and canned responses, templates and filters. So, you know, one of the best things you can do is try and filter away the non-important messages into like a 
a folder where you only have to check it once a week. It's actually one of the first things I did when I first hired someone for my coaching business for email was like, well, a lot of my messages are actually non-urgent. They are newsletters. They are just updates from software and things. Let's put those automatically into a folder and I'll check it once a week and just I'll mass, mass, I'll batch process. I love batch processing as well. So I, I'll clear that. And that should just leave the inbox with the priority messages that need to be looked at each day. And, th and that's something an inbox manager will do anyway. I mean, it's an important step, but you, that is something you could start yourself just to sort of get a feel for what it's like. But, you know, really there's no way to get around dealing with email with any kind of automation or software until the AI gets as good as a human being, which I'm not sure. I mean, uh, people who are pro AI will say it will happen, but from my experience running this business and also just seeing what it takes to take over an inbox, you'd have to teach AI empathy. And I'm not sure if that's possible. It's an emotion, maybe. But for the time being, a human being, for example, you know, one of our clients, she coaches people and consults in a very personal space. It's got, it's got to do with mental health. And as you can imagine, people who send in messages to her really trust her to, to reach the point where they can talk about their problems over an email to her. And when we came in to work with her, this is a big deal because we would then be answering those messages and we didn't want her, her audience to freak out because it wasn't her reading this personal information about her. So for example, in this case, she wanted to introduce us as part of her team. So rather than this stranger reading her email now, it's like, no, no, I'm just growing and I can help you even better now. So this person will be like, you know, think of her as my receptionist and she'll make sure I get the most important messages and you'll always get a reply. Even if it's not like a answer to your question, you'll at least get a reply saying, oh, don't worry, she'll see the message. That little touch point can be a huge thing to kind of keep the comfort factor of your clients. So I don't think you can replace that. I'm not sure if I have an answer beyond, you know, just starting to use some of the, the technical filtering and folders and templates to do it yourself. There are some other apps that attempt to identify messages and, you know, mass unsubscribe you from newsletters and things like that. But you know, what we're doing is way, way different. It's way more personalized. It's almost like customer service mixed with sales, mixed with counseling sometimes as well, you know? So I would actually just as an exercise and Tom, I recommend you to do this again. I know you've gone back and forth with, you know, having people handle your own email, go into your inbox. And as you open every email, or even as you just look at the headline, ask yourself, what would it be like if someone else dealt with this email? What about this next email? And especially when you hit an email where you say, oh, this is a really important one. What would happen if I responded, but then I also wanted the, a person to chase it up tomorrow or 48 hours later and then you know, next week and do that. So I don't have to figure out a system to remind myself to chase it up. There would be a human being doing that. So you know, where could you build in more extensive processes to improve the results? And even just the simple stuff, how would you like this email to be filtered and foldered? How often would you want to see these emails? Just give yourself a, a feeling what it would be like to have a right-hand man or a woman doing this instead of you. And then you can sort of identify how much of that email is really only for Tom or only for whoever is listening to the podcast right now. Like you'd be surprised because most of the time, 80%, classic 80-20 rule, bare minimum 20% of the email probably at this stage needs to be yours. And in reality, it can be cut down to like me, you know, 5% of the messages you have to personally deal with. 
So even just thinking like this will be a big productivity uh, changer for you. Yeah. So, and you might've answered this, but as I was just going through and listening, so I definitely see a plethora of use cases and it's gotten me thinking about, you know, moving into this again and saying, you know what, I think I need, need this help. Yeah. Put in context, I don't know if we said it while we were recording, but offline, I have had people manage my inbox in the past. And it's actually been, when we did get it rocking and rolling, it actually worked great. But I've since brought it back to make sure I had my, my finger on the pulse of things. But I do see it as like something me, that is, oh, go ahead. I've got to address that point, yeah. finger on the pulse. Because we have, um, yeah. for example, one of our clients gets a lot of newsletters and he really likes reading them because it keeps his finger on the pulse of his industry, right? So he knows what all his, his potential partners or his peers and the leaders in his space are doing. Plus it's educational content, right? But one of the things he hated was the fact that he had to go in and just process them, deal with them, check them, see, see them in his inbox, making him feel stressed. So one of the simple things you can do in that situation is create a different way to consume that content. For example, taking those emails, copy and pasting them into a Word doc or any kind of text file, and then sticking them in, in one download for the week in Slack. So he never has to go into the email. They all get archived, but he sees all the content and can batch process it much easier without that sort of stress mode. So, you know, I would ask yourself, what is it you're trying to stay on the pulse of? And is there a way to get some kind of summary uh, information through another quicker uh, or more effective medium like a Slack chat or uh, one email? Like one of our clients has a separate inbox, which we don't manage. And he wants us only to forward the most important messages to that. Or we could forward a summary of all the messages in one email to that email. So you, you'd effectively go from 50 emails a day to one email a day with the most important touch points that, you know, keeps you on the pulse of things as, as you want. Got it. That makes sense. So let me ask this question too. Then you guys handle anything that comes into the inbox. Do you also handle any kind of like email outreach where, where if it would be like, oh, I'd like to send a few emails to these people or send, send this email to these like people just to catch up or something like that. Like where's the dividing line? Yeah. I mean, the, the answer is yes to a point so far we treat each inbox as it comes and everyone has some unique needs. We've had some people, for example, want us to extend the service to the Facebook messenger inbox as well. And even for us, we were like, okay, is that, should that be within our scope of our service? It seems to not be that different from email, you know, away you go. So most of the time, it'd be like, yes, if it's something we can do in email, like you said, we want to specialize in that space. That's where we're, we already have systems and processes built so we can do that. If you start wanting us to go to Twitter and tweet, go to Facebook and post, go to forums and post, we'd probably start saying no. But if you want to route all of that information to your inbox and we could sort of connect the dots that way, follow up that way, or filter and summarize to you that way, then yeah, it's it's certainly possible. But what, what, what is it in particular you're, you might be thinking of? Like, Oh, I mean, well, like the, the use cases on that would be things like, oh, just following up with people you want to stay in contact with, which is kind of, kind of falls into the follow-up sequence if somebody were, had emailed first or if there was an engagement already in the inbox. I was saying being uh, more proactive in terms of like, okay, Here's like, I, cause I use some tools and ways to kind of segment and say, okay, these are some of the people I want to stay in contact with. And maybe I'll send an email every month or two or something like that. If somebody had a use case for that would, you know, I guess, would it be something where I just have to think of myself, well, I'll do the initial piece and then any follow-ups, obviously, you know, inbox done would take care of for me. Yeah. Yeah. We, we build that. You know, I, I did that with my team for uh, prospect follow-up. You know, I'd say, listen, this person is showing interest in buying my, my thousand dollar flagship course let's follow up with these five emails over the next two weeks or whatever it is. And, you know, a good example might be, 
a lower level working in a venture fund or something, you know, some sort of uh, capital company that, that provides funding to companies. And your job is essentially to take meetings with founders and find the, the needles in the haystack of the ones you actually want to back and buy some sort of ownership into. So there's a lot of meetings there and there's probably a lot of following up an email, you know, just chasing up to make the meetings. So if you already do that personally and you could see that turn into a system that someone else executes, then for sure, easy, as long as it's, you know, within the scope of email, then definitely. I love it. Well, Yaro, you got me sold and I'm sure people listening are starting to think about how they could use this too. So where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, learn more about this and we'll just find out more about you. Yeah, yeah. Again, Tom, thank you for the opportunity to talk so much about my, my new business. It's a lot of exciting for me. So inboxdone.com is for everything we're talking about inboxes and for everything Yarrow and in terms of all the businesses I've run, what I'm doing now with, you know, writing and podcasting myself too. Uh, the new domain name, I retired the entrepreneurs-journey.com domain name because it's too long, too hard to spell and has a hyphen. And uh, I've switched to the much shorter and simpler uh, yaro.blog, Y-A-R-O.blog. And that's where all my content is today. I love it. Well, Yaro, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches with us today. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please do me a favor and go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes. That's T-O-M-M-O-R-K-E-S dot com slash iTunes and leave a rating and review for In the Trenches. Not only do I read and appreciate every review, but it helps spread the word of this podcast and allows me to continue to get on great guests. So thank you for your support, and I'll catch you on the next broadcast of In the Trenches.